This is going to be the fourth week in our series called Seasons. Uh, we've been learning together to trust God through change, which can be really hard. Um, it's <laughs> oddly appropriate in God's sovereignty, however, that this is what we're talking about, seeing how we are going through a bit of a large change. This one has been kind of easy, though. It's really been a blessing. Uh, we've seen that though change is difficult, it is absolutely necessary for a growth. Uh, we've talked about the fact that if I was to tell a child to grow but don't change, that would be insane. It doesn't make any sense. It would be an illogical statement. I can't say to my kids, I want you to, I want you to grow but don't change. You can't do it. And so, but we all know that growth is important, right? Even, and we're not talking about just physical growth, we're talking about spiritual growth, we're talking about organizational growth, we're talking about growth of God's kingdom, these things we should be growing, and so thus, automatically, if, if growth is impossible without change, change is going to happen, it's inevitable. And so part of this series has just been getting all of us to the point of accepting that fact. Things are going to change. And so if we're less blindsided by that when it comes, and we're, we're expecting that to happen, we understand it's a very fact and part of life, change will occur, we're better prepared to handle it in a mature spiritual way when it does. Our hope is through the help of of God's Holy Spirit and the instructions of the scriptures to go from hating change, which is probably where many of us started out before this sermon series. Maybe you're still digging your heels in and saying, I don't care what you or the Bible say, I don't like change. Well, we'll pray for you. Um, But our hope is our hope is that through God's Holy Spirit and the instructions of the scriptures that we want to go from hating, for some of us we would merely tolerate change, to embracing it and even being thankful for it when it happens. So we want to go from hating or tolerating to embracing, being grateful for change, seeing that God uses it oftentimes to advance us and to move us into his blessing. Okay? If you like sermon titles, this one would be called Jesus Changes Everything. Okay? So you can write that down, and that is true. You can take that one to the bank. Uh, What we're going to do is examine the impact that uh, Jesus makes on the life of everyone he comes in contact with, but especially those who follow him. Uh, Here in these scriptures where we're about to read in in, uh, Matthew 4, Jesus has just got done beating Satan at a battle of wits. Um, The devil had Satan, I'm sorry, the devil had Jesus out in the wilderness trying to tempt him, which just further, you know, illustrates his sheer stupidity. We're talking about Jesus here, and he thinks he's going to you know, out with, it's like, hey, G, challenge Jesus to a chess match. You lose every time. Don't care how good you are. You lose every time. So, right, the, the devil takes Jesus out, thinks he's going to trick him into disobeying God. That doesn't work, surprisingly. And then, uh, then we see that Jesus is going to start his public ministry here. So he goes straight from whooping the devil to now he's going to start his time of public ministry here on the earth. And we're going to see him call his first disciples. So let's look in Matthew 4. Did I tell you verse 18? So you're already there, primed and ready. Good. Off we go. We're going to read to verse 22. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their, and their father and followed him. Now we see that Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen, so their life prior to this event consisted mostly of what was required, 
to catch and sell fish, right? So not real high stakes or high pace, but uh, Jesus is about to come along and mess all of that up for the good. So I will point out one thing, though, I just think is, is striking from these verses. I really think these guys should be commended. Um, you, have to, you have to stop for a minute sometimes and remember that the guys in the scriptures, the disciples, namely, I would point out, they don't have the totality of the scriptures to refer to when it comes to making decisions on whether or not they're going to follow Christ. So, like, here comes Jesus. Nobody knows who he is yet. He hasn't healed a bunch of people yet. You know, he's turned some water into wine, but that hasn't really gotten around. So, you know, there's really, there's not a ton of reason why these guys would have been so compelled as to completely abandon their job, their occupation, their trade, lifestyle, family, to go follow this guy because he walks up and says, hey, you, come on, I'll make you a fisher of men. I just think even without all the information that we have, these guys somehow recognize what was in Christ. And, and I, you know, we give the disciples a hard time sometimes because we see the good and the bad of, of how they did um, learning how to be kind of the, the fathers of a, of a religion. But um, I got a lot of respect for that because it's hard for us sometimes even having the totality of the scriptures. We know the end of the story, right? We know, yes, he is crucified, but he rises. We know, yes, you know what, it, it gets hard, Christianity, it's tough, man, Roman persecution, it's, it's, a, it's a bad deal for a while, but we know in the end, we've got all these years of history to refer to, we know in the end Jesus wins. They didn't even have that. They were just compelled by the very character of Christ himself. And so, I don't know, I respect that. I can tell you're excited about it too, so good, we're excited together. Um, so these fellows went from humble fishermen just working their job to make ends meet, to following Jesus, becoming a part of his ministry team. This was a huge change, okay? Went from mending nets in the boat, being a fisherman, to being a part of the ministry team of Jesus himself. Uh, let's read verses 23 through 25, and we'll get a little bit of snapshot of what life looked like for them once they met and followed Jesus, okay? So we'll pick up uh, in verse 23. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So we see the disciples go from fishermen just working a job, trying to survive, to following Jesus around, working security, doing crowd control, while they're supposed to be learning how to do ministry from the Son of God himself. Pretty big change. Like, I'm a humble fisherman, I go out and catch fish every day, you know, gut them, sell them, repeat, right? Not a, it's not, you know, I'm not saying it was, it was probably hard work, yes, absolutely, in a respectable trade in the day, but... This is different than what they were used to. Yes or no? Yes. Big change, okay? Because I don't want you to, I, I want to make sure this relates when the next big change comes to you. I want you to understand the disciples went through what you go through. Jesus went through what you went through. And we need to see how they responded, both good and bad, and learn from those things. Okay? However, the disciples were not the only ones that were changed. As you read through the life and ministry of Jesus, or even just these few verses that we just read, it seems, or you get this sense that everyone who came in contact with Jesus was changed. The sick were healed, 
The broken were fixed. Those who doubted God's love and power, they were challenged just by the very presence, character, and nature of Christ and what he did. And those that already believed, they were affirmed and encouraged in their faith. So if Jesus encountered someone they doubted, they were challenged in that. If Jesus encountered someone, they already believed that God was good. They were encouraged that that is true. Someone was broken, they were fixed. Someone was sick, they were healed. It seems that no one escaped a change when they came across King Jesus. And the truth about it is that no one can encounter King Jesus without being changed. You can't do it. You cannot come in contact with the risen Christ and not be changed. Meeting Jesus is like getting hit by a truck. You're not coming away without signs of the impact. You understand what I'm saying? You're not coming out of that interaction without signs of the impact. You will not come across the risen Lord of glory without knowing you've been there and knowing you've seen him and touched him. You can't. This should be obvious for all of us that claim to be Christians. This should be signs of the impact. As God's people, we are called to continue the legacy of Christ because the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. No one should be able to come in contact with us without being loved, helped, challenged, or encouraged in some way. Did you hear what I said? This, I'm saddling you with something here. I want you to hear it and make sure so that way you can't escape it. Nobody should be able to encounter us. If you are a Christian, if you've been saved by grace, if you have impacted the risen Christ, if you've come in contact with him, if he's changed your heart, nobody should be able to come near you without being loved, helped, challenged, or encouraged in some way. Because you carry Christ with you, the same type of inevitable change, when, when Jesus walked into a crowd of people, stuff started changing, flat out, quick, right now, right? There was no hesitation, all of a sudden, sick people are healed, discouraged people are encouraged, people with demons, they're being cast out. Jesus lives in you. You carry the spirit of Christ in you. And so, when you walk into the office, when you walk into the break room, when you walk into the classroom, wherever it is you go, I want you to have confidence in Christ in you. I realize some of you are shy and backwards, and you would never start a conversation where there would be potential conflict. I'm not asking you to count on you. I'm asking you to count on him. If Jesus is in you and Jesus is with you, Stuff should change. Right? Right. And sometimes the only reason it doesn't is because we don't think about that or have faith that that's true. As we look at the stories of men and women called by God, we see things are always different but not always easier once they answer the call to surrender themselves completely for his purposes. Let's think about, let's just isolate Peter from this story of these guys called by Jesus, okay? He was not the only one. Jesus called many more. Um, but let's just look at Peter, for example. Did it automatically mean that because he put down his fisherman's nets and came to be a fisher of men and follow Jesus that things got easier? Well, uh, in one story, Peter almost drowns because... He starts hanging out with Jesus, and one of Jesus' favorite things to do, apparently, is, you know, go boating in thunderstorms, right? You remember this story? So they're out on, they're out on, the, out on the sea, and, you know, there's all kinds of times when you could take a boat somewhere, right? But f for some reason, Jesus looks out when it's weather like this, and he's like, boating time, boys, let's go. 
drop, you know, pull up the anchor, let's do this. And, and they're like, well, I mean, it's Jesus, I guess, okay. So off they go, right? And then he goes to sleep. <laughs> so he's down there sleeping, and they're up there freaking out. And, uh, you know, it ends up, it ends up uh, they, they all almost die, or they think they do, but they go down and get Jesus, and then he comes and commands the waves and the storm to calm down, and then I don't know if they're less or more freaked out after that. They're like, who is this guy? You know, the commands nature itself. This is a big deal. So, um, so you know, Peter almost drowns. Uh, he has to suffer the persecution of religious leaders of the day because of his affiliation with Jesus. Just being associated with Jesus, he got in the, in the line of fire of a lot of hate, right? The religious leaders of the day, they did not like Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't dress like them. He didn't talk like them. He didn't, you know, make it all about people kind of, you know, ruffling his feathers and, and putting rose petals in front of him to walk like they liked. They wanted the respect, and they liked to be, you know, greeted out in the, in the streets because they were the guys. And Jesus was more about getting down in the dirt with people, loving them, praying for them, uh, healing them. And, and, and he was starting to get a following. He was starting to get influence because see, people were seeing the difference between religion and, and really love in the spirit of God. And so... Uh, they didn't really like that, and Peter's one of his main guys. He's always there. He's always around, and so he, he's having to deal also with the same difficulty and persecution that Jesus did. I can just imagine Peter, you know, they, they, they camp for the night. They get down. You know, everyone sits down in their satchels, and part of his job is being opening up hate mail. Jesus, we got 200 letters again today from all the Pharisees that hate you, you know, and he's that's just being part of his job, and, and of course, they didn't have... Uh, of course, they didn't have a mail system, but uh, he had to deal with it. Uh, he, had to, he had to face some of the brunt of that persecution, so that wouldn't be easy. Uh, these are his own people that are rejecting him now because he's associated himself with Christ, so it, it didn't get easier in that regard. Uh, he has to go through the terrible uncertainty of watching Jesus be arrested, falsely tried, and executed. This would have been hard. This would not have been an easy thing. You see, Peter and the other guys, they thought... Their understanding of Messiah, their understanding of Jesus, who they trusted that he, was, that he was the Messiah. They believed that he was the guy they were looking for. But what they thought he was going to do was come in, be really good with a sword, and start whooping up on the Roman army and kind of restore, get them out from underneath the thumb of this oppression of the Romans. And Jesus didn't do that. Jesus submitted himself to be arrested by them. Got beat like a thief and a murderer. Got drugged saddled with a, a, a sidebar of a cross and made to carry it up to Golgotha. And uh, that would have been really hard to watch for Peter because what Peter's expecting is for Jesus to whoop all these guys and he's watching the guy, the guy that he thought was going to bring victory, get killed. So now where does that leave Peter? See, remember, Peter put his nets down, left his dad standing there to follow this guy. And what happened? That guy that was supposed to win seemingly loses. This is part of the key of understanding change and trusting God through it. What Peter could see was like this. All he could see was the events as he was experiencing them in time like we do. But God from his viewpoint, understood that, yes, Jesus was being beat. Yes, that precious blood was hitting the ground. Yes, he was going to die right in front of their eyes. But he wasn't going to stay dead. See, that's the part that God knew. 
And see, there's things that God knows about the situations in your life right now that you don't see, you don't get, you don't have his perspective. And that's where it comes to trusting him when things are changing. In the same way the disciples had to. And yes, they freaked out. The disciples struggled, man. They could only see it from their viewpoint, but, but God knew. And I'm telling you, God knows. I realize you're in the midst of stuff right now. You're dealing with struggles in your life. You have no idea how it could get better. You have no idea how it is this could ever work out. But you've got precious promises that if you will trust God in faith, if you will persevere, not only will it end up okay, but you'll build character in the process. Yes, so uh, Peter has to go through the terrible uncertainty of watching Jesus be arrested falsely, tried, and executed. Um, again, life not necessarily getting easier because he's trusted and, and followed Christ. Uh, Peter ultimately ends up dying a martyr's death. He's crucified upside down for his refusal to recant his love for and belief in King Jesus, his friend and Lord. He takes it all the way to the point where they tell him, listen, two options. You can recant. You can say, you guys stole the body. He didn't really rise from the dead. He's not really God's son. You can go out here and say that, or we're going to kill you, Peter. And Peter says, do me this one, do me this one solid. If you're going to crucify me, do it upside down. I'm not worthy to die the same way he did. Whoo. Now, that's not even really my point, though meditating on that helps me to be a better disciple. Um, my point is, life did not get easier for Peter because he followed Jesus. Now, you may be thinking, you may be sitting there thinking, I'm not sure this guy knows what he's doing. You could be thinking, this is not a very good sales pitch for following Jesus. Shouldn't you tell me things will be perfect, things will be trouble-free, I'll never be sick, and I'll always have all the money that I need? And, and like, shouldn't you say blessing a lot? Like, if, you really, if you're trying to suck me into this thing, shouldn't you be selling it a little better? Um, here's the thing. I, I can't tell you any of that. I can't tell you that you'll always have all the money you need. I can't tell you that you'll never be sick. I can't tell you that things will always be perfect. I can't even really promise you things will be easier following Christ. But I can, here's what I can tell you. I can give you 100% ironclad guarantee on this one. You can take this one all the way to the bank. You can come back and call me on it, and you can, you can let me know. Uh, this one will always stand true. Life with Jesus may not always be easier, but it will always be better. Life with Jesus may not always be easier, but it will always be better. Now, that can be confusing for some of us, and it can seem counterintuitive for some of us. But that's only because we live in a culture and time that thinks whatever is easiest is best. We must learn that this is not always the case. We in this day have even been referred to as a microwave society. You ever heard that term before? We, we, we've been referred to as that in this day and age. We want things easy and fast because that's better, right? It's better. It's easier. It's faster. It's more convenient. It's better. It's always got to be better. Here's the thing, though. Anyone who has ever put a piece of leftover pizza in the microwave knows that this isn't always true. Just go with me for a second. Some of you may have not done the other part of this analogy, but I want you to try it if you haven't, and you'll know that I'm right. If you'll take that same piece of pizza that you're going to stick in the microwave and nuke, and what's going to happen to it? That beautiful pizza, that crisp crust is going to turn into something rubbery and limp and not delicious, and it just, it's going to become not a, not a nice process of eating it. It's just something to put in your mouth, right? Uh, some of you leave it cold. You're weird, but that's cool. 
um, there's room for you in, 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 in the family as well. Um, maybe on the outer corners, but there's room. We love you. Uh, no, but if, if you would take the 10 to 15 minutes that it takes to take that same piece of pizza, turn on the oven. That's a big square thing in your kitchen. It's normally got knobs on it. Some of you may not have known. Uh, take the 10 to 15 minutes it would take to put that same piece of pizza, put it in the oven, and heat that thing up. It would taste so much better, and it would be so much more of a rewarding experience, even though it wasn't the easiest way to heat the pizza. But you don't get the most rewarding experience just because that was the easiest path. I realize this is a dumb analogy, and pizza's not that important, but it really carries over to life. The easiest way is not always the most rewarding way. The easiest way is not always the best way. You have to decide whether or not you'll buy that one, but it's true. Worshiping Jesus may not always be easier than worshiping some other false god or yourself or whatever it is, but it will always, hear me church, it will always be better. Always. I realize I'm talking to two different types of people right now. Uh, Some of you that need to be convinced that this is true. There may be people here tonight that you're not a Christian and we welcome you and we're so glad you're here. And so I want to address this from that side uh, I'm going to give you two reasons why life with Jesus is always better, because I can throw that out. I can even say it louder than the rest of what I'm saying, but that doesn't really make, make it true, and I understand that, and so I don't want to insult your intelligence. I want to give you some qualifiers. Why would I say, why would I put, I put my integrity on the line, I lay it right out here, my name's on the line that life with Jesus is always better. I mean, God had put his name on the line, which means much more than mine, so that's why I feel safe doing it, but aside from that, I want to give you a couple reasons some really ironclad things to contemplate about why life with Jesus is always better, okay? Uh, Some of you already believe this with your whole heart, and so this is going to affect you differently, but I'm going to give both groups two reasons why life with Jesus is always better. Life, here's reason number one, life with Jesus has purpose. Life with Jesus has purpose. Every single human wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves, Do you realize that about yourself? Do you understand that you don't want to just meander through life doing enough to survive? That becomes very, it becomes very degrading at some point. It becomes very, just, it starts to feel yucky and useless. Like, what the heck am I here for? And so, everybody wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves. To believe that what they do matters. I want to know that what I'm doing matters. There is no greater cause. There is no vital There is no more vital of a mission than being a disciple that makes disciples. We carry the gospel, the treasure, the great jewel, the greatest news that has ever been told. We carry the gospel. You can never be a part of something bigger than being a Christian, than being a part of God's family, the ones called to bring hope to the rest of this planet, to let people know there is is hope in Christ, that sin does not have to win, that eternity can be spent with the God that made them. You can't be a part of anything bigger or better than that. Affecting someone's eternity? Some of you can't even get there mentally right now. You can't even imagine yourself being an active role in that. But to the very fact that you understand the gospel, the very fact that you've been saved by grace through faith, calls you into the mission to spread that same gospel. There's no, no escape clause for any of us. To know it is to be called to share it. And this is a beautiful thing. Not everybody has to abandon their job uh, and all of their life like Peter and the other fishermen of that day. Uh, as a matter of fact, 
God will anoint you to bring the light of his gospel into whatever job you have or industry you're a part of. God will call you to bring the light of the gospel into whatever job you have or industry you're a part of. I just want to say something real quick. Um, I really hate the song, This Little Light of Mine. You know what I'm talking about? This little light of mine. Now, some of you right now are, you know, you'll blame the tornado, but you want to get out of here because that's your favorite song ever. I would just say one thing to that. Like, just, just broaden your music library a little bit because um, it's not that cool of a song. But anyways, um, here's my problem with this little light of mine because I feel like when we talk about the light of the gospel and its impact and power, I always feel like I'm fighting this song that has a really catchy tune and everybody knows it. This little light of mine. And they've seen kids sing it holding a little light and so it's just like ingrained in their head. Here's the problem with that song and here's why it bothers me. It totally misrepresents the light of the hope of the gospel. Okay, the gospel is not a little candle that you hold in your hand, okay? It's a light of such radiance and brilliance and power that it pierces to the deep chambers of a man's heart and it eradicates the darkness that is there. It's not a little light. It's the brightest light. It's the light that matters most. It's the light that shines brightest among all lights. And it casts darkness out. And it's beautiful. And it's powerful. And we get to take that into this world that is ever increasing in its darkness and depravity and we get to shine it. You're part of something big if you're a Christian. Your life matters. Reason number one is that life with Jesus has purpose. That's why it's always better than life without him. Not easier because sometimes when you sign up for a mission it does increase the workload. It does increase opposition However, just the very fact that you're a part of something that matters, it's better. It's just better than just doing stuff because, because I don't really know why and, you know, wondering if there's any, even a point. <clears throat> Reason number two, life with Jesus isn't alone, okay? Um, I saw a piece of graffiti on a wall one time, and I think it was on the side of maybe what used to be a ministry. It wasn't somebody tagging illegally. I know that. It was, for, it was either commissioned or something, but this piece of graffiti, it struck me. I was driving at a stop sign, looked over, and um, whoever had done it had wrote in, in spray paint, even when I'm solo, I'm rolling four deep. Now I'm going to translate that for everyone over 40. What he's saying is, I love you. <laughs> I do love you. Uh, what he's saying is, even if he's alone, he's not alone. He's got Father, Son, and Holy Ghost with him. He's always four deep. That was the part I didn't know if you'd know, four deep. That's, that's how we talk in the hood. I don't know, you know, those of us that live that life, <clears throat> like me. Um, so, but what he was saying is, it was just, it struck me, just the whole thing, and you can't see the picture in my mind, but it was, it was powerful, and um, when you belong to Jesus, the truth is you're never alone. He's promised to never leave or forsake you, and when he promises, you can count on it. Life with Jesus is not lonely. You're never alone. Now, I'm not just going to console you with the fact that Jesus will always be there. Some of you... Some of you struggle to hear his voice. Some of you struggle to know and to understand when you're in the midst of his presence. And so for some of you, the fact that Jesus is always there is, is of little consolation. It should be more, and my hope is that you will be ever more grateful for the fact that Jesus won't leave you nor forsake you. Um, the fact that his presence is with you, the fact that he dwells and lives in you, this is a beautiful truth, and this is something that 
is, is only a product of grace and mercy on his part. However, uh, it's not just life with Jesus not being lonely or life with Jesus isn't alone has not just to do with the fact that Jesus is always with us, but the fact that it brings us into a family and a group of people that we would not otherwise be a part of. And so uh, two good friends of mine both told me this week how different their life is because they're connected to God's people. It's just interesting how people think they're just telling me things, but God's using them in a really profound way to um, illustrate what we're working through in the scriptures. Uh, one of them was struggling and needed someone to notice and care. You ever been there? Like something's really bummed you out, but it's not something, it's like you can't figure out how to bridge the conversation and get somebody to, to talk to you about it. And, and I've had people stop me where I was just struggling and I really did need to bounce it off somebody, but I don't know. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes I just don't know how to get there in the conversation. Sometimes I'm not very good at reaching out for help. But somebody skipped all that and came to me and was like, brother, stop a second. Let me talk to you. I can tell something's bothering you. I love you. Let's work it out. Let's talk about it. And uh, th- there was a brother in that situation this week, and um, he wasn't alone. And he told me this. This is what he said. I, I, I've got it in quotes here because I, I wanted to make sure I said it right. He said, before I was a Christian, all people did was use you till they were done with you. They never really cared. I don't know if you've experienced that, but people can be really vicious. And honestly, people are vicious. People are selfish if Jesus doesn't change their hearts. Our modus operandi, the way we go, the way we, the way we just do things from default as humans is to be selfish. It's about us. Jesus comes and changes that. Jesus comes and transforms that and makes it about others. And so, you know, sometimes it's inconvenient to let somebody talk to you about what they're struggling with. Sometimes it can be awkward. But when you love them more than you love you, you don't care. You do what it takes to help them. And that's part of what happens when you become a Christian. That's part of what happens when you join yourself and you put roots down deep into a a faith community and a family that can come around you and love you when you're struggling. And the beauty is you can do that for them when they're struggling. That's how it's supposed to work. Amen? Uh, The other guy, other good friend of mine, just needed help moving something heavy and didn't want his bride to have to carry it. Seems simple, seems carnal, seems like it didn't matter very much, but in in the midst of our conversation, in the midst of moving this heavy thing, he said to me, before I was a part of God's family, I wouldn't, and he used that word. I'm not adding or taking anything away. Before I was a part of God's family, I wouldn't have had anyone to call for help for anything. Seems dumb, seems silly. First thing I want to say to you is, you men, um, call another man. Don't expect your wife to do man things. Protect her, take care of her. She's a precious gift to you, okay? We got plenty of brothers around. Don't have her on the other end of the couch, hide a bed, dress her that weighs 400 pounds, Worst case scenario, man, if we can't find anybody else, you call me and I'll help you move it, okay? Is that all right? Is that all right that I said that? I want you to treat your wives with respect and love them, and they should know that you're protecting them. Now, at the end of the day, if if you're not going to call and you're going to, you know, crack your spine in half and she wants to grab a corner to help you, hallelujah, and some of you have stubborn wives that want to do man stuff, and that's fine, we'll work with that too, but I'm just saying, some men just, oh, I'm not going to ask for help, you know. Come here, woman. Help me carry this. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. Respect your wife and love her. And um, call a brother to help. Because you know what? 
when you're part of God's family, I'm not saying the first guy that, you know, you, you ring his phone up that he's going to be available, but you're going to have a pool of brothers that love you enough to drop something they're doing to come help you move a dresser. And that's cool, man. It really is. And I'm not saying that's exclusive to Christianity. There's other people that will do stuff like that. However, we just kind of have a, a way of doing things in God's family where it's even easier to ask because I know someday I'm going to need help moving something. And I can call one of you brothers and say, hey, bro, can you come help me move this? And then when you need me, I'm there. We're family. But it makes the family bigger when, we're, when we emphasize the blood of Christ instead of the, the, the blood ties that are biological, right? Your biological family, it's small. But man, we, we expand out. We get a lot bigger when it's Christ's blood that binds us. And that binding is stronger than biology could ever be. I was grateful for those two experiences this week. Um, someone also texted me this week and they asked me what it means when the Bible says that Jesus' burden is light. And this is really what it means, that Though life with Jesus may not be easier, it is always, always, always so much better. If you don't hear me say anything else, I want you to be convinced of this. Though life with Christ may not be easier, it will always be better. Because the burden we carry has an eternal purpose, and we never have to carry it alone. The worst, hear this, please. The worst day carrying the hope of the gospel is a thousand times better than the best day carrying the weight of sin and hopelessness. Can I get a witness on that? Anybody here know that's true? Know that that's true. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you. The absolute best day carrying the weight of sin is so, it's, it's so bad compared to carrying the hope of the gospel. My worst day with Jesus is a thousand times better than my best day without him. I've got hope. I've got a purpose. What I do matters because of him. I'm not alone. Praise God. I'm so thankful.